Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. So we want to talk to not only the major national politicians in New Zealand, but also the local politicians and uh, and mayors. And joining us right on the program now is the Kaipara Mayor, Craig Jepson, who's made a bit of a name for himself. Would that be fair to say, Craig? Oh, not willingly, but I would guess so, Paul. Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome to Reality Check Radio. And I'm looking, the, the most recent story involving you in mainstream media is headlined, Kahurangi Dame Nader Glavish. Kaipara Mayor should step down and step out. And she was uh, referring to, let's have a look here. Why is it acceptable that a key public office holder, local mayor, in my view, or is allowed, in my view, to escalate his racist and divisive behaviour when he's paid out of the public purse? And uh, she's talking about banning colour kia by Māori Ward Councillor Peta Paniora at the first full Kaipara District Council meeting in Mangafai. So already you're offside, Craig. Yeah, well, I, I stood very firmly when I stood for election. I stood on issues of um, I was against co-governance. I was against Te Purpa. I was um, pushing in all my documentation that I believed that all cultures, religions, ideologies should be given fair and equal treatment. I had people that um, had been on council for a number of years that um, didn't want the karakia. They thought it was um, pandering to one one group, so I decided I'd have a I'd have a secular council. So then the um, proverbial hit the fan, of course, at the first meeting. But um, you know, Dame Glavitt, she needs to brush up on her law um, under the standing orders. I may or may not have a karakia. You know, I may or may not have a reflection or a statement or whatever. Uh, so anyway, we we put it to the vote with our councillors, and we decided prior, just before the opening of each meeting, that on a pro rata basis, every councillor would have an opportunity to. Um, you know, to make a statement or a reflection or a karakia or whatever they liked. So that was our, um, you know, our response to that, and um, I thought it would work well. But, of course, the um, the likes of um, Dame Glavitt, she still won't accept that. So um, I've become a target. I think uh, they feed off feed off that situation. It gives them something to, to attack. And, um, you know, <laughs> the other day I had to laugh. She compared me to James Cook, who evidently has been a terrible person in our past, God knows how, he's the most, uh, you know, influential, probably the most renowned mariner of all time, you know, because she was bouncing off that uh, comment that came out of that woman that wrote that shocking poem, you know, where yeah, should stick the knife in the ribs of the descendants of James. So, you know, the veiled threat wasn't lost on me. Um, yeah. But, look, I, I've had I've had tremendous support for that stance. Um you know, not just about Mary. The people sent me in emails. I had, I had hundreds of emails. People sent me an email saying, look, you know, we got Bible bashment at school and we didn't want that. You know, we think that you should just do what you said you're going to do and open the meeting and get on with it. That's what you're there for. You're there to do the business, you know. So that would have applied to anyone wanting to have that opportunity. Uh, I mean, if it was a, a, a Christian who wanted to start reading Bible passages, still not appropriate, right? Certainly. It's the only way to solve the issue when you've got, you know, 10 or 12 people of different um, belief systems, particularly, that uh, you just give them all the same um, even, even-handed even approach, you know. And that's how I'm approaching my miracle as well. I, I think um, under the Local Government Act, actually, if you have a look at it, my role as a mayor is to treat everyone um, 
equally, and um, certainly I've got to give Maori all opportunity to uh, to participate. And um, certainly, I want to do great things here with Maori. You know, we've got housing issues, we've got um, low employment. Uh, you know, so all groups in my district, you know, need to be given a lift up. Virtually, we're, we're pretty impoverished here in the in the Kuiper, a lot of us. Yeah, do you think it's um, a case of because local Māori are so, you know, attached to their place that they feel that, and I can see how this could could occur, they feel that special attention needs to be paid for them for, I don't know, whatever, dignity or history or, 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 or whatever, just, just trying to explain their or her in this case, but um, I'm sure she represents a few people, motivations for, for wanting to have, I, su- I suppose, a special opportunity. Well, um, Parapaniora is a really nice girl and, um, you know, she's passionate and that's good, you know. I mean, I know people that have never voted in their life, so that's the opposite to that, isn't it? And um, mm. she wants to do, do good things. I think we've got a different way of trying to get there, actually, but... Um, you know, I have a lot of I've had a lot of dealings with uh, with Mary in the community here, and um, you know, there's I think the respect is growing. They know that I'm not I'm not racist. I'm not anti Mary. I'm just inclusive. So, um, <clears throat> I think is, is that a low blow, Craig? Being called racist like that it can't feel too good. Well, yeah, it is. It is a low blow because no one understands or has any comprehension of how I've led my life. I mean, that's the true judge of. Whether you're a racist is how you've treated people over the course of your dealings with you know with everybody in your community. I mean, my my business partner is a, a married uh, man. He's the hardest working bloke I know. Actually, he's a wonderful worker, and we've got a good relationship. He's bought my shares out of my business now, but you know we're still good mates. And uh, I never I never look personally at people based on colour. I always look at them on how much they can give to my. To my business or contribute to my my relationships and friendships you know it's pretty simple stuff really and i think i think that's the problem in this country with race relations i mean i'd, I'd almost go as far as saying we should get rid of the race relations office get rid of these people i think they're becoming the problem not the solution you know in the old days in our communities i mean i worked up in the north where it's high mary population i played rugby up there and did business up there worked with, i've worked with mary all my life you know Racism wasn't accepted. You didn't have to have a race relations office to sort that stuff out. You sorted it out then and there because people didn't accept it, you know. And and that's what you need to leave communities to do, sort themselves out. You don't have to be running away to some government body every five minutes with a complaint, you know. Yeah, I want to talk about um, local versus central control. I guess you're sort of nudging on that um, as we uh, go about this chat. So are you saying or are you thinking that, the whole race relations infrastructure of New Zealand is is kind of a, a, um, a you know a work a work scheme for people a sort of a make job scheme for what woke people to uh, project their their power because as you say um, these things always have been in the past and usually are sorted out out at a very local level with people who know each other and local relationships. Oh, that's right. You know, um, you've seen certain good good out from the bad, no matter who it is. And um, I've always done business with relationships in a handshake predominantly, you know, and um, the colour colour hasn't come into that or any any other race. Uh, and, but, and it makes me kind of laugh when you get these contracts coming, you know, you're not allowed to 
to, to, to bid for the contract unless you have a percentage of Pacifico or Mary in the contract, you know. <laughs> I used to laugh like, oh, because 90% of my guys were Mary anyway, but, you know. Uh, well, well, that's not that's not business, is it? I mean, that, that's tying one hand behind your back. Well, exactly. I mean, uh, nowadays it's bloody hard to get good people to work for. You don't care who they are. You just want to get them. I mean, yeah, we've, like, we've got cafes in this country that are closing down on alternate days and sharing staff because they can't get anyone to work. You know, it's just diabolical. Okay, then there's the issue of uh, co-governance. Well, we've already touched on it, but uh, specifically that decision a while back by Sport Northland refusing stop co-governance. I think it was Julian Batchelor's group uh, and his tour uh, from using a public venue there for a meeting. Uh, saying the call was abhorrent by uh, Sport Northland, you said, and mm. Sport Northland had stepped outside their mandate and was out of order. Now, who's how does the authority chain work there? Whose decision ultimately was that? And were the right people making that decision uh, to, uh, well, I don't know, uh, close out, stop co-governance? And we know that how that turned out, but have you got any insight into how that original decision was made? Well, Sport Northland themselves are a, are a co-governance um, organisation, so I think they felt a little bit, um, what's the word, um, offended themselves about, you know, someone who wanted to talk about co-governance. Uh, we didn't, the councils didn't strong-arm them. I didn't have a, have a, um, a role in strong-arming them to change the decision. I think they realised that the decision was simply unlawful. Yeah. Um, but why didn't they know that first up? Did no one check? Well, I don't know. Maybe they didn't think they were going to get challenged. Maybe that's just what they assumed and they were acting in what they thought was their, you know, God-given right to to do that. You know, I mean, it's interesting when both both Chris's, Chris Hipkins and Chris Luxton, both can't seem to explain co-governance themselves, but and yet both of them say there needs to be a, a discussion in this country about it. So Julian Batchelor is trying to do just that. You know, some people mightn't agree with the fact that he's, He's quite a hard-nosed presenter, I would call, call him, but um, he does let other people speak in his meetings who are passing the microphone. He's open to discussion. So, you know, he's got a right, in my mind, just like everybody else, including people that don't like me, to stand up and, and have their say. If you don't like it, don't go and listen. Because people are like wilting flowers, aren't they? Hard-nosed speaker. Well, when someone's passionate about something, they're going to be hard-nosed. Surely it's the quality of the information, the accuracy of it, that counts, not that it's delivered in a slightly more nuanced, hard-nosed way. I mean, we're getting twisted up on things that don't matter, aren't we? Certainly, certainly. I mean, he's doing a good job, I feel. I mean, the last few weeks I've been watching um, what's been happening out there. He's a brave man, actually, and he's standing up for what he believes in. And, um, you know, people should just have the discussion, and uh, he's part of it and he wants to be, and he's presenting himself out there and, um, you know, all powered him to do that. And if he sounds crazy, people will know that, right? And they'll walk away and say, well, okay, we saw that. And uh, and that's what ideas, sharing ideas and free speech. Is, <laughs> well, he's, like, got, he's had people sitting quietly at his meetings just there to listen, and they've been accosted and called racist and had cameras, you know, cell phones shoved in their faces and, called, and screamed it. So, you know, if that's what co-governance is. If that's what he's against, well, <laughs> I'd have to say I'd be all for him because, you know, we've got to have an inclusive society where everyone's allowed to participate. I want to get on to how things are economically there in a moment in your uh, neck of New Zealand. So, But you're telling me Sport Northland were philosophically on board with co-governance. 
they weren't just like virtue signaling and and caved because they really didn't believe in what they were saying. You're saying that that they were on board with it, and it was their instinctual reaction to to not let the meeting go because of that. Just to get that clear. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right. Okay, so you've been whacked by some pretty heavy weather events. The um, economy and the world economy, local and world economy, is a bit teeter tottery right now. The recession word comes up. I don't know if we're we're not quite officially in one, but I think a lot of people think one is coming. How hard will the landing be? Is the other question. So, from your view in Northland, taking into account the uh, the weather events, given that the food is grown there. And uh, there, there's been a lot of activity around housing, subdivisions, et cetera. Um, how are you finding the economic conditions in Northland right now? Well, when I stood um, for the election as mayor, I was, that was one of my planks, was that we were going to go into hard times. We always do. We've had a cycle. I mean, I've lived through business downturns before, 86, 96, 2006, you know. You can just about see them coming. I mean, the economy overcooks and then... Um, you know, particularly with COVID and the supply chain issues, things got out of control, you know, and you can see why housing prices now are plummeting. They were probably well overpriced. But um, by, by know, the way, people have been saying that for years, so no surprise there. But <laughs> well, in the, the end, always, was, in the end, it always seems to happen, though, doesn't it, Paul? It you does. Get, you get your cycle, you get your turn, right? And um, I keep my ear to the ground because of my business associates and um, they're telling me that the subdivision work's drying up, you know, the front-end stuff, the guys that dig the dig out the sites and stuff, they're starting to see it, see it slow down big time. And, um, and we've got other impacting things happening in our district. I mean, our Coomera, Coomera, Coomera growers over Dargaville Railway, they've lost about 90% of their crop, you know, and that's very impacting because it impacts on people that, you know, we're relying on on labouring in those jobs. These Sorry, did you say did you say Dargaville? You kind of dropped out there. The, yeah, Dargaville and The Coomera growers have lost about ninety percent of their crop. Ninety percent. Yeah, I think it's about ninety percent. Yeah, Man. and um, it's pretty impacting on that district because about fifty million dollars goes through that economy because of that Coomera growing every year. So it's not going to filter down this time around. You know. And that, that's uh, a, that would be a quite a major that that would be noticeable, wouldn't it? Oh, look, I think it's going to be. definitely will be. And, um, you know, uh, we've got a lot of people in this district, you know, they're still living on as low as $30,000 or $40,000. So, you know, it's, um, it's, it's hard for them. So um, I'm very mindful, very mindful of that. And what we're trying to do as a council here is we're trying to open up, uh, make it easier to put one-acre lots into our, our impoverished rural regions so we can attract people who want to come and live in the country, you know, bring their computers with them, uh, remotely work, you know, get their groceries bought out to them by, um, by, by you know, a, a countdown or something every week. And, yep. and then they and then we'll get more people into these little paparoas and rural and mangatorados and Dargaville. I mean, Dargaville hasn't even got a dentist, you know. It's got 6,000 people and no dentists, you know. It's, we just, we just need more economy and more people. So the only way to do that is to make it really attractive for people to come. And, I, you know, demographics in the world are changing. Uh, for the first time in my lifetime, we're not we're not able to rely on ever-growing numbers of people. You know, that used to be what drove our economies, particularly in this country. And, um, I mean, Auckland for the first time is starting to lose people. You know, I was 
talking to Brownie the other day and he said that you know, some of those apartments down there are starting to empty out. You know, they're getting depopulation, first time in Auckland's history. Wow. So some real challenges out there in this country coming. You know, how do we run our economies with, you know, stable or less people than we're, not, we're, we're used to? So, yeah, it's going to be, we're going into interesting times. Um, you just mentioned Wayne Brown. It can't help making the comment that, boy, have they got it in for him. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you say? Oh, well, you know, I know Brownie pretty well. I have to say, I worked up in Kirikiri for 20 years and he was my engineer. And he's always been a flamboyant character and he shoots from the hip. And um, and you got you got to love the guy, actually. He, he's probably what Auckland needed. He will shake the tree and, you know, for better or for worse, he'll make a lot of good changes. Yep. All right. So you're doing work to try and get more people in. I mean, how practically can you do that? Do you, what you do, do you advertise? Um, do you, yeah, how, how do you get more people to move in to an area like yours? And over a reasonably short amount of time, I would imagine that you'd want that to happen because you don't want it to, you know, bottom out even more. So what sort of efforts are you putting into that? Well, initially we're going to do, we're doing a lot of work on our 10-year plan, district plan that's coming up. And within those plans, that's the way you try and unlock land at the right price. We're trying to make it so that, when people come here to run a consent, for example, it's quick and it's easy and it's cheaper than normal. So, we, we, you know, we're in competition in this country between regions to get these people. So, you know, you make it attractive by making it affordable. So we can make our, our land uh, affordable. And also I'm looking very closely at, um, at, pre, at uh, pre-built housing up here. Yeah, uh, I want to work with Mary on uh, on Mary Land and get houses out there as well. Um, we've got some really good, innovative people up here who have timber mills, etc., and they've got some some pretty exciting modular housing ideas. Actually, so you know, we, if we can bring those things together and and get an economy here that's that's very attractive for people to come to, I think people will come. It's a neat place to live, you know. I mean, if you got Potu Peninsula out the Bailey's Beach, the Waipawa Forest, I mean, Kaiui Lakes, you've got the magical Mangawai. I mean, geez, we've got it all, mate. It's good. Yeah. It's nice it, tempting me. <laughs> and we're building, and we're building a 45-kilometre a cycle trail over in um, Kaihu. You know, I mean, if you look at the one up that um, runs from Opua to Hauraki, if you look at the VA South and you've got the Wilderness Trail, which I biked last week, and you go down to Otago for the Otago Rail Trail, I mean, it's that booming little economies. And it's, it's um, you know, people come to play, don't they? Particularly if you're next to the biggest city in New Zealand, one and a half million people or whatever it is, we, we, we're attractive. And 45Ks is a good stretch as well, isn't it? Um, let's talk about um, rating because, you know, people wonder whether this rating system is fit for purpose for the future. And I've heard um, local politicians sort of bemoaning the fact that really, you know, we're getting to the point of com- of almost tapping out the local rate pays. I see Rotorua is looking at a 7.2% increase and uh, there's been a bit of uh, uh, accusations of secrecy around that. You know, people can only stretch so far. So what are your thoughts on how to fund local things now if rate if ratings getting to the end of the line well i think uh, government we were always putting our hand out to government they seem to be the ones that control the money you know if you look at um, what happened down south i think it was the new plymouth mayor went and had a look at how much money was coming in from uh, fuel taxes and road taxes 
but only only twenty percent was coming back into the district. I mean, roading is our biggest issue up here, particularly after this um, these latest events. You know, we've it's probably cost our it cost our infrastructure ten to twenty million. So how do you fund that? You know, yeah. So government has to stop spending money on things that don't matter and start putting the money back into the districts. I think and. Um, now, whether that's making it more affordable to borrow that money, I mean, government does have, you know, a pool of money there that we, we borrow at the right rate. Um, you know, it's just like running any, any other business, really. You've got you've to be prudent with what you spend. And, um, but rate- you've got to have certainty of income as well, right? I mean, otherwise everything stalls. Well, that's right. I mean, you look at, um, I mean, we're sitting here with this Three Waters thing. I mean, we've got... Oh, $40 million worth of debt. We've got no capacity in our sewage plants. We need to improve our water. Um, but we haven't got the money. The ratepayers haven't got it. So, you know, you can't – you can only borrow so much. So, you know, government has to have to, has to step up and, as you say, reverse, reverse things a little bit so the regions take more of the, more of the take, you know? Yeah. And how soon should that happen? I mean, how long has this system got before it really – really becomes a, a big issue, do you think? I think it's a big issue now, and I think the election is going to show that. You know, if you read particularly guys like, well, Bob Jones, you know, he says elections are won and lost on the economy, and I think there's a lot of hurt out there, and I think people are, are recognising that we can't keep, you know, spending money, printing money. We've got to make more. We've got to be more productive as a nation. We have to be more innovative. And, um, you know, we have to have to sharpen our sharpen our, our act up, you know, like in this district here, what, what I talked about in terms of making land cheaper and housing cheaper, that's that's my one of my solutions is to get people coming here to spend their money, get, get a bigger rate base going. And, um, you know, we can't get by with only 18,000 rate payers in a district as big as this, you know. Gosh, that's, yeah, there's not many. I had, I had Winston Peters on this program uh, not too long ago giving his state of, of the nation and he, he, I mean, he, he's always positive, I think it's fair to say, but he, he thinks there's quite a few things wrong with it. And he thinks a lot of New Zealanders know that there is. Is that what you pick up locally? What are the silent, is there a silent majority that's just not speaking up, demanding things, pushing back or, or what? There's a huge silent majority. I think we're going to see that in the election. I mean, I was... I have to admit, I was shocked to win over half the vote here. There was six people standing. I didn't have a clue until I actually won. And, and the result was pretty pretty positive for me. But I was the one that stood on on uh, against the co-governance, against Three Waters. I stood for, you know, one man, one vote, all votes are equal, everyone's fair treatment. And I also, I also in- indicated that we were going to go into hard times, and I thought we needed to become really careful with how we worked worked with our money, you know. And I, th- I think, I think people are very conscious of it. They know, they know that um, New Zealanders are going to have to roll their sleeves up to get through a pretty tough period. How do you think Northland's going to do then, compared to every every other part of the country? Well, give us your view. I, I, of course, it's going to be positive. Have to be, wouldn't it? Of course, it is. Of course, it is. We've just developed our vision with my fellow councillors. I'm really lucky to have a good team, actually. And uh, we're going to call Kuiper the place to be. That's what we're going to promote. Come here, bring your money. We're going to make it easy. Bring your money. <laughs> make sure you bring your money. Oh, and your technology too. You know, I mean, we need yeah. to. 
to, 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 to you know, increase some of that around here too. There's a lot of people with good ideas in this country and they're encouraging them. I mean, they're going overseas instead of doing their thing in their own country, you know. Maybe a technology park would be a great thing in our, in our district, you know. A film studio, Craig. Oh, there you go. But it wouldn't be you and I, mate. We're too ugly for that. But anyway, that's... <laughs> well, that's what they always say. They put in a film studio if you can't yeah, do anything else. The government goes and gives it all away to the overseas <laughs> film companies, don't they? Yeah. New International Airport. Oh, that needs to go up in the Mako's country up in Kaitai. So everyone flies up there and then they dribble down all the way to Rotorua instead of getting into Auckland and turning right straight away, you know. And you get into New Zealand about 15 minutes earlier. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and a burn less gas. Trouble is, we need some roads for them as well. I haven't quite got the roading up to scratch either yet. Did you ever get those bridges? Was that your area? Yeah, we got a couple. We got a couple. Um, we got that one over in Matakari, which is which we really needed. Um, yeah, I got a feeling um, Winston did pretty well. You know, with the provincial growth fund stuff, we're still spending some of that money. We're building. New, we built a new wharf in Potu and. You know, we've done some good stuff. We're putting um, bike tracks and stuff into Mangawai here with that money. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as soon as you feed money into the provincial areas, they will respond and they will, you know, take it and use it productively. So the Kaipara District Council Mayor, I've got the uh, title correct, haven't I? Got the yep. right council, the right person. Craig Jepson has been here on Reality Check Radio with me this morning. Craig, thanks for taking a bit of time out. We're really going to get around the regions and, and kind of get our arms around what's happening in specific local areas. So local is where it's at now, isn't it? Oh, I believe so. I think people have, um, that, they don't like being cooped up in 15-minute cities. They want to come out and live in the country. Oh, don't go! Don't start me about 15-minute cities. <laughs> it take a lot longer than that to, 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 to hear my grievances about, or worries about that. That's another discussion for another day, eh? Yeah. Are, are you making a pledge that there will be no 15-minute, what, towns or cities in Northland, right, over your... Over my dead body. I mean, you know, the car is freedom, isn't it? You know, people, we all want to explore and get in our car and go travel. We don't want to be told we can only leave our district three times a year or something, which is what's happening with some of these bloody outfits overseas, you know? Yeah, and the locals are grumpy. Again, they don't want it. They don't want it. So they're starting to become, that's what, what you hit on here in this interview. People are starting to become aware, you know, until it starts to affect you, you, talk, you kind of ignore it, right? Yeah. But now people are starting to become aware. And just to wrap up, Craig, uh, I think you were one of the mayors, local body politicians that uh, attended the protests in Wellington back in March. And that was a bit of a risk for you, wasn't it? Because I think anyone who had any sympathy uh, in any position in, in well, local government on up um, was risking um, hit pieces and, and God knows what for taking those stands. So quickly, what was that like for you? Well, I went down there principally because I didn't agree that you couldn't have autonomy over your own body. You know, I was deeply suspicious that we were having a, a medication pushed on us that hadn't been proven. So, yeah, I went down. I think I, I escaped attention because I wasn't big on social media. I've never been a Facebook man. Ah, right. So they didn't dig me out amongst the others and butcher me over it. Um, I think as time's gone on, I, what I did was pretty reasonable. And, um, you know, that's another discussion. I think is we've got all-cause mortality in this country that's going through the roof and no one's talking about it. What? what, what how's that um, How's that presenting in your area? Uh, are people noticing? They are. Um, you know, a lot of my friends who are 
you know, triple three times, four times jabbed, ended up sicker than I did. I had COVID twice and got through it no problem, and I'm unvaccinated. Um, you know, my I've had friends who've got the myocarditis. Um, you know, it's supposed to be yeah. rare, but it's it's not rare. There's plenty of people suffering from side effects. You know, and it's the most untold story that this government won't face up to. We need to have a proper um, study and investigation of what's happening in our health districts at the moment, and um, and because I don't think it's pretty. No, well, um, I have similar experiences and people I know have similar experiences. It's like it's right up at the back door now, you know, knocking on the door um, for many of us. Um, I, I just wonder, wh- when does something give? When does it give? Well, I think people go through denial and then they go through anger. And I think people are starting to get angry because, you know, their friends and family are, are dying, getting sick, repeatedly sick. Um you know, this safe and effective mantra that we got pushed onto was just an outright lie. And, um, you know, I know, for example, people can't go back to work still. I've got five um, oncologist nurses, one of them from the lead nurse in Wangarei that I spoke to the other day. They still can't go back to that hospital and take up their jobs again. It's just criminal. Well, that's insane, actually. That's the definition of insanity, I, I think, or, or that that that's a good example of it. And that's because, what, they just can't let go of their position because, what, the house of cards falls? That's right. They're the storytellers. They're, they're the ones that know, the frontline nurses, they know. And um, there's a lot of people, you know, because they can't, they've got to feed their families, of course, they've had to keep their mouths shut. But, um, or, you know, they're in denial. Some of them are in denial, but... Um, you know, look, a government that does its job looks at this stuff objectively. They don't cover their ass because they took the wrong route originally. And, and they, 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 they owe it to their, to their population to, to do the necessary studies to show whether we've got a problem or not, and they're not doing that. Yeah, but if you think you might be to blame... Because, I mean, we're not going to drill down deep into this right now. It's getting your comments. But it's pretty well known now that a lot of, because of the way or where New Zealand was on the timeline of these rollouts globally, that there were alarm bells ringing before anyone had anything in the arm here. And that was known or should have been known by the so-called experts, but still it happened. So it's like the fox guarding the hen house, isn't it? Yeah, I think in time they won't better they won't better hold it back. They'll um, they'll have to um, face up to you know the decisions they made, and um, you know in a democracy that's what needs to happen. Well, that's going to be interesting, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get a democracy. <laughs> well, well, just yeah, well, even that. But to to watch this, uh, you know, what, what do people say? Time to get the popcorn out shortly. I don't know, and I don't want to make light of it, but uh, yeah, I'm, surely something has to give somewhere. Um, interesting to hear about your experience there, though. Craig Jepson, thanks so much for your time on Reality Check Radio. Thanks very much, Paul. Cheers.